Hi, I'm Zach Davis, host of Jesuitical. As we've been preparing for Jesuitical's pilgrimage this coming September to Italy, OneDream has made all the difference. OneDream is this amazing educational platform with audio and video content on just about any topic, including Italy, presented by experts who all know their stuff. And OneDream is giving Jesuitical listeners a great offer, a free trial plus 20% off the annual plan. Sign up now at OneDream.com slash Jesuitical, and we hope we'll see you in Italy. Hello and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of American Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis. Salve, Ashley. <laughs> that was my attempt at Latin. That was good. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be with you. That's I, I only, only I wish that you had sung it. Oh, yeah. Old Zach would have sung Old, it. Yeah. Or young Zach would have sung <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Now, new old Zach doesn't say as much on the podcast. Uh, it's helped us grow. So we lost dozens of listeners every time I sang previously. Uh, anyway, great to be with you. I'm excited to be talking about Latin Mass today. Yes, we are talking to Father Pierre Amar. He's a priest in the Diocese of Versailles in France, and he is a, a big fan of the Latin Mass. Yeah, we wanted to kind of, we've been wanting to get into this topic for a while, and we're having trouble finding, you know, the right angle, the right way in, because it it's such a neuralgic issue yeah, in America. People feel very strongly about it here. Yeah, yeah. And not just not just here, yeah. really around the world. But Father Pierre is an awesome person who's got a really great perspective on it. So a little bit of context. If you are unfamiliar with the controversy that is the Latin Mass, um, here's, we'll give you the two-minute version of it. Um, so Vatican II, this is the uh, ecumenical council in the 60s, where we decided a bunch of things. But one of the most visible ones was changing the liturgy from Latin to the vernacular. Um, and so your grandparents probably went to mass in Latin. And after that, they would be able to go to it in English or Spanish or whatever they spoke in their country of origin. And not all Catholics welcomed this change, including the French bishop Marcel Lefebvre. He rejected the reform of Vatican II and uh, became a schismatic. Yes. Uh, and there is a whole line of Catholics uh people that he ordained that sort of were no longer in communion with the Pope. Uh, that is not the case for the priestly fraternity of St. Peter, um, which was a group of priests that wanted to remain in communion with Rome. And wanted to keep saying. And wanted to keep saying Latin Mass. Yeah. And so that is the order in which Father Pierre was uh, ordained with. He grew up with the Latin Mass and so became a priest for that fraternity. Today, he's incarnated in the Diocese of Versailles and he celebrates and loves both the Latin Mass and the Novus Ordo Mass, which is Mass in the vernacular. So why are we talking about this now? There have been some developments since Vatican II. Uh, one came under Pope Benedict, who in 2007 uh, allowed any priest to celebrate the pre-Vatican II Mass. And then Pope Francis, just last year, reversed Benedict's decision and restricted it again, making it harder. Priests had to get permission from their bishop if they wanted to say the pre-Vatican II liturgy. People feel very passionately about lots of things in liturgy, like whether or not 
the kneelers in your church are really like as aesthetically pleasing or comfortable as they should be all the way to should we be celebrating the the mass from before Vatican II or the one after uh, it's it's a contentious thing lots of people care a lot about it in terms anytime we publish anything about it at America people love to read and comment about it I've actually got an essay that I wrote about this last summer when the news broke uh, because I kind of fell in love with the Latin mass when I was in college but instilled some things in me some some I would say toxic traits that uh, <laughs> makes me understand why Pope Francis restricted it. So we'll link to that in the show notes, but we get into all that and more in our conversation with Father Pierre Amar. And we have this conversation over the traditional alcohol of Jesuits, I've learned, <laughs> which is doer's scotch, uh, which is also the the oldest uh, bottle of liquor we have on our bar cart. <laughs> yeah. So we've got a, a bottle of doer's that's been sitting around a while. And we figured if we're talking about the old liturgy, we should look for the oldest thing in the bar. Um, so uh, we've got some doer's over ice. Cheers. Cheers. But before we get to all of that, please stick around for a couple words about our sponsor. Zach, would you consider me a stoic person? No. <laughs> me neither. <laughs> yeah, I was like, is this a trick question? Okay. <laughs> uh, but I would like to be a little bit more stoic, which okay. is why I turned to Wondrium and the course Think Like a Stoic ancient wisdom for today's world. You know, Stoicism was developed at a time of great political and social turmoil. And if that sounds familiar, then maybe you want to think like a Stoic too. Yeah, no, I've definitely always seen you more of an Epicureanist. Yeah. Is that the right word? <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, I, it's been a long time since uh, my philosophy classes back at Loyola Chicago. And so I was really excited to dive back into this course. Yes, and Wondrium has this and so many other courses, audio and video courses on hundreds of topics taught by university professors, plus documentaries to help you learn about the world around you. Yeah, and all of Wondrium's content is world-class incredible, and it's presented by experts who all know their stuff, and you're getting it all ad-free. Uh, and that's why we want you to sign up for Wondrium today. And good news, Wondrium's offering our listeners a free trial plus 20% off the annual plan. But to get this offer, you need to visit our special URL. Yes, that is wondrium.com slash Jesuitical. Again, that's W-O-N-D-R-I-U-M dot com slash Jesuitical. Sign up today. And now we have Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. What are we talking about this week, Zach? We're talking about rumors. Uh, is Pope Francis resigning? Uh, I don't know. I've seen lots of headlines that suggest as much, but I'm not sure what to make of it. Uh, and I don't think you are either. But we know someone who is well-informed on all things Vatican and Pope Francis. So we're very happy to be joined by our friend and colleague, Colleen Dully. Uh, you can listen to her on the Inside the Vatican podcast after you're done listening here. Colleen, welcome to Jesuitical. Hey. Thanks for having me back. I love being your unofficial Vatican correspondent. I think it's basically official at this point. <laughs> so I, I think we can cement that. Perfect. Great. Colleen, what's going on? Is Pope Francis planning to resign? And why Why am I reading about this right now? Okay. So like, obviously, I don't have an answer on that first question. But here's the deal. The Pope, obviously, one, people like to speculate because he has been using a wheelchair lately. He's had these knee problems. We remember last year he had the intestine surgery. Whenever a pope is showing any signs of physical weakness whatsoever, it's going to spark speculation about a resignation. But then a couple things that were scheduled in the last week kind of made the speculation build up because first he announced that he was going to have this consistory where he makes 21 new cardinals, but he was going to have it in August. We thought it would be in November, so unusual timing. And then he announced that right after that, he would have 
a big meeting of all of the cardinals in the world who usually only get together at a conclave. And that would be right after the consistory. So they'd stick around in Rome and they would talk about his curia reform, his big reform of the Vatican's central bureaucracy that he issued this summer, like just went into effect this week. But if he wanted to announce a resignation, getting all the cardinals together would be a good setting. (laughs) Right, right. Like, and, you know, save some money, then they're already there for a conclave. Yeah. So that, that sparks some conversation. Also, like, that meeting was immediately interpreted as being a chance for the cardinals to get to know each other. This is a big thing that especially cardinals from like farther away places who don't get to Rome a lot complain about when it's been a while since a conclave. They're like, all these other cardinals have been appointed. I don't know you guys. And we need to know each other if we're going to elect one of us to be the Pope. And then the like big thing And this is going to sound so niche, is that on Sunday, it was announced that the Pope would be visiting the church where Celestine V is buried. All right. Who is Celestine V? Celestine V was the first Pope to willingly resign. Like, you had had other ones previously, and I think after him, that were unwillingly forced to resign. They were imprisoned and so on. But Celestine chose to resign five months into his papacy. He never really wanted to be Pope. And... Benedict XVI had visited his tomb in 2009 and laid down his pallium, which is it's like a stole, but it's connected in the front. Anyway, it's a sign of authority. He laid it down on Celestine's tomb, and that was what started all the rumors that Benedict would resign, which eventually, as we know, came true. Mm, but not for a couple of years later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not for four more years. So what is the Vatican saying Pope Francis's official reason for going to Celestine's tomb is? So it is because there's this tradition in L'Aquila, the city where this is, of opening a holy door. Um, And so this tradition has happened for like hundreds of years. Francis will be the first pope to go open the holy door there. And Jerry told me that, you know, it's the possibility is on the table that he'll take the cardinals with him and have them go through the holy door, too. We don't really know, but that's the reason on paper. And then the other reason also on paper is to visit with families who survived the earthquake in L'Aquila several years ago. That was something that really touched the Pope's heart. We remember he made a day trip there and he's close apparently with the bishop there. So that's that's the other reason he's going to go visit these earthquake survivors. And has Francis said anything officially about this or is this pure speculation at this point. About this trip or about resignation in general? Resignation in general. And like it may be happening soon. Back when Benedict resigned and Francis was elected, he was asked about this. And at least in part to kind of defend Benedict, he stepped up and said, you know, I think Benedict set a really good example. And I believe at that point he said that he could follow in that example. But since then, he hasn't really said anything. My co-host on Inside the Vatican, Jerry, believes that Francis is going to die in office. So, you know, yeah, he he hasn't spoken about it either way. So pretty much pure speculation based on the calendar right now. What do you think is the best case that these rumors are true? Like, what do you find the most convincing? I think that Pope Francis is a pope who really strongly believes in the power of gestures. And I think he knows exactly how things will be read. Like, you know, one thing I think about all the time is when he bent down to kiss the feet of the South Sudanese leaders who were making war against each other, right? And he was begging them in the most beautiful, visible way to make peace. He's a guy who knows how his gestures will be read and knows how powerful they are. And so I think there's no way he's going to go to Celestine's tomb without being aware 
of how people are going to read this, especially if you see him rolling up there in a wheelchair like he is right now. I mean, that's that is a powerful image and that is going to be interpreted in one specific way. And I am sure he knows that. Okay, and so what is the alternative explanation for these these gestures and these plans? Um, What what's the case that he's not going to resign soon? So there are a few reasons to be skeptical. One of them is he could just be bringing these cardinals together to prepare for an eventual conclave. They want to get together. They want to get to know each other. It saves some money and it saves time away from your diocese. If you bring lots of cardinals to Rome during August when nobody else is in Rome, it's the off-season for tourists. Uh, maybe the flights are cheaper and so on. So that could be an explanation. So the reason this is all happening is just that Pope Francis is frugal. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is that is maybe, one way yeah. to say it. Yeah. Um, but what about what about going to uh, the the church Celestian's uh, tomb? Well, like I said, I think that's the you know most convincing argument in favor of him resigning. Um, but I feel like we should keep in mind that. Benedict went there and then didn't resign for four years, right? Like he could be laying the groundwork for something without planning to do it immediately. I highly doubt that when he has all these cardinals there in August and he pops out in between these two meetings to go to Celestin's tomb, that he's going to resign then. It could happen, but he's he's got a lot still going on. And that's the other argument against this is that he wants to see the synodal process through to its end in t- 2023. He wants to make a few more papal trips. So, And in the analysis piece you filed for America Magazine, you said that the maybe the biggest reason that he probably isn't resigning is the simple fact that Benedict is still alive. Yeah. Can you say more about that? Yeah, sure. So, you know, Benedict XVI has had his own way of filling the role of Pope Emeritus. He chose that title and... You know, since then, there's been a lot of conversation about what the role of Pope Emeritus should be, right? Like, we live in this world now where the two popes is a major motion picture, right? Like, there, this mm-hmm. this image of two popes and even this, this using of Benedict as a parallel authority has become a real issue. And so there are some who think that we need some reforms to that office, that The person in that office should not be wearing white, should not be maybe speaking publicly, should not call himself Pope, but should call himself Emeritus Bishop of Rome because you have Emeritus Bishops in other places. And I think that Francis is probably inclined, just based on his track record, to want to make similar changes. Again, this is this is me speculating, right? This whole story is is speculation. But I think he'll want to make those changes. And I don't think that you can do that gracefully while there is still someone doing it a different way, wearing white, being Pope Emeritus, who's alive. I think that would probably foster even more disunity and and confusion, frankly. Yeah, it's sort of like two popes is company, but three is a crowd. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, nobody wants that. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your sorting out sort of speculation from fact and what's really happening um, because it is it is confusing and lots of people are asking it. So I appreciate you setting us straight. Yeah, no problem. Uh, Listen to Inside the Vatican. That's exactly the approach we take on this story. And you can hear Jerry weigh in with his point of view, too. Awesome. All All right. right. Thanks, Colleen. Bye. And now stick around for our conversation with Father Pierre Amar. (laughs) 
Joining us from Versailles is Father Pierre Amar. Father Pierre is a priest of the Diocese of Versailles in France. Thank you so much for joining us on Jesuitical. Thank you so much. Hi, everybody. We're really excited to talk to you because we've been trying to find a way to get into this topic of the Latin Mass, and you've got um, such a rich experience with it that we'd love to get your perspective on it. And so maybe just to start, for someone who's never been to a Latin Mass, which I think is the majority of Catholics around the world, at least those born in the last 50 years, can you describe what it looks like, what it feels like, what it sounds like, and, and how is it different than the, the, the quote unquote, the Novus Ordo Mass? Yeah, yeah, that's right. There are three main differences. First, the, the Latin, you pray in Latin, you have a, a, a sacred language to, to speak to God, uh, that's Latin. Uh, second difference, the priest is not facing to you, he's facing to, go, to God, so you will see him behind. You will see. He has his back, back to the people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's not. He's not angry with you. Huh? But <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't look at you. That's the second difference. And the third difference, it's the the, the silence. There are a lot of period of silence during that liturgy. I know that we also have the silence in our masses in our parishes, like mine and yours and, and the other. But these three main differences: Latin uh, position of the priest and silence are the, the main differences between the old traditional Latin Mass and the Novus Ordo, the Mass that we have presently uh, have in our parishes. So a lot of American Catholics get very upset if their Mass is not exactly one hour long. <laughs> I'm wondering <laughs> how long the, a typical Latin Mass is. In a parish, Mass it's one hour. It's different if you go to um, a monastery with monks, literally it will be longer because they have the Gregorian chant, they have... Uh, a lot of deacons and subdeacons, but in a parish with the traditional Latin mass, it's nearly yeah, one half. Is there a homily? And is the homily in Latin? No. Oh, no, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> no, if, if you've never Even, been, that's a good yeah. question. If yeah. You, to Latin. yeah, that's yeah. a good question. Yeah. The homily is, is in the, the language of the people. Okay. Yeah, wow. <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes the gospel is in Latin or in, in, in your language. In France, uh, we will speak, I think, uh, the differences between the situation in the USA and in France. In France, in the traditional parishes, the, 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 the gospel is always in French, hmm. always. And the homily too in French, yeah, of course. <laughs> now, if you could explain for our listeners, why do you think that the church decided to shift from the Latin Mass to liturgy in the vernacular during the Second Vatican Council? Yeah, that's a consequence of the Second Vatican Council. In fact, the Vatican Council ordain a lot of, of changes, canon law, catechism, uh, liturgy. Uh, uh, it's not a change for the faith. It's a change to explain the, the faith, to, to deliver the faith. But the faith is still the Catholic faith. It's not a problem. And the liturgical issues, the liturgical movement after the Second Vatican Council was very quick, very quick. And all the bishops of the Second Vatican Council have voted for this changement, even Bishop Lefebvre, who was, uh, after the Second Vatican Council, a big, a big opponent of, of the new liturgy. So you obviously were not alive before the council, but I'm, I'm curious, were, were people asking for this? Was this a ground up movement or did the bishops kind of impose it from above? Yes. And the, 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 the situation is different between the different countries. Just want to say that there are, uh, all is mixed. You have a lot of reasons to go to the traditional Latin Mass here in France. There are spiritual uh, uh, reasons, psychological reasons, cultural reasons, 
political reasons, aesthetic, historical ones, and, and everything is mixed up. And, and maybe, maybe I, I'm sure I am forgetting other reasons. Now, when you were growing up, mass was mostly in French, I'm guessing in France. So how did you and your family- In English for you. In English for us, yes. But how did you and your family grow up uh, going yeah. to uh, a Latin mass? Yeah, it's important for the people who are listening to us that uh, I present myself. I am 48. I am um, uh, sorry, a Catholic priest. I was ordained just 20 years ago. And today I'm, I'm a priest of the Diocese of Versailles. But I have also been a priest of the priestly fraternity of St. Peter. You may uh, know this community because I know they have a seminary in the United States. Uh, so the first years of my priesthood, I used to celebrate the, the Latin Mass, uh, the traditional Latin Mass. Actually, um, my personal uh, uh, life, my family history is very much linked to the world of the traditional Latin Mass. As a child, I remember, oof, we went uh, uh, to the traditional Latin Mass every Sunday, every Sunday. And it was uh, logical for me to join the priestly fraternity, uh, fraternity of St. Peter. And so it, it sounds like the traditional Latin Mass is really at the... It's at the heart of both the founding of that fraternity, but also it's is it part of their their charism and how they think about themselves and their ministry? Yeah, for them, it's it's both a spirituality and a way of acting as a priest. They want to to celebrate that mass. They want to celebrate uh, the the other sacraments uh, with the, the the old books. Why not? Because these books were the books of our grandparents, of yours and mine, and and uh, during several centuries. Uh, our father, I've prayed, I've been blessed uh, with with all these books. So something holy, something uh, uh, good before cannot be uh, one day uh, condemned as it's bad. No, no, it's 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 good today. But the Second Vatican Council decided we have to deliver the faith in an in another way. The faith is still the faith, but we have to. You know, it's like it's like the, the envelope. And the, and, and the letter. The letter is still the letter, but sometimes you have to change the envelope because the letter uh, uh, can be re more received. I, I'm just curious. It's, some people might say, and it, uh, particularly this is a source of, I think, division in, in this country. Mm -hmm. um, it mm -hmm. feels like the people that are still attached to the liturgy of their parents and grandparents are, are, are stuck in the past and, you know, Wish for you know to go back to a way of being church that is not no longer. They want to go back to the old envelope, right? Even though we have hmm. a new envelope, and, and it feels like a, a source of conflict. Is that how you see the attachment to this liturgy in this in these communities? It's it's very interesting. It, that means that there is one mystery, the Eucharist, mm -hmm. and different ways of of living that mystery. And when you ask. Uh, a, a tradie. I don't know if the expression is correct in, in, in English. Tradie, uh, in yeah, French. trads. We, we shorten tradie. it a little bit. Yeah, the tradie. Trad. Yeah. Tradie. <laughs> when you ask a trad, uh, faithful uh, of traditional Matimas, but why? Because they are quite young. They are quite young. And it's not old people. Some, in France, there are a lot of young families. And when you ask him, why do you, do you love that liturgy? In, he, he, he always uh, answered, because of the atmosphere. It's not because of the Latin, of the silence, of uh, uh, because the priest is another uh, attitude. No, because of the atmosphere. There is a, a Greek word for that. Is ethos. There is another ethos, another atmosphere with this mass. And 
And some people like that atmosphere. Why not? Can Why you not? can you describe But, that atmosphere? Yeah. I think yeah, the, I think the right. English word today is vibe. It's a different vibe. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. It's a different vibe. That's it. That's it. You know, it's it's like when you you love a, a singer more than another singer because it's you cannot explain it. It's another vibe. There is a theological word for that. Ethos. But Ethos. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Vibe. Yeah. Vibe. It's. It's. Uh, I. I understand that. I think vibe. what I like as someone who has. I. I think I've maybe gone to one and I've watched a video of one on YouTube. I think the word that hmm? comes to mind is is like uh, reverence. It's a more reverent mass. Is that how you would describe it or not? Yeah. If you go to the traditional Latin mass, you will find an, uh, another word. It's sacrifice. Hmm. For us, I celebrate the Novus Ordo Mass every day now. Huh? Uh, trad will say, ah, your Mass, uh, your your way of celebrating the, the, the Eucharist is more uh, emphasized on uh, more emphasis dinner, on a, lunch, yeah, a meal, a lunch, yeah, yeah. a meal. Mm -hmm. For us, it's more a sacrifice. I wonder how that affects the communal aspect of the Mass. Like, would you say there's more? I mean, because a meal implies community and yeah. being together. Yeah. Is is there is there a communal aspect to the Latin Mass, or is it more yeah. one on one? Yeah, the one will join the traditional Latin Mass to have an experience of of God directly, and he will say that us in our uh, masses, in our uh, Novus Ordo masses, we will join to encounter to 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 meet the community. I I actually kind of fell in love with the traditional Latin mass when I was in college and meant a lot to me. I remember just being, it seemed like there was a lot more intentionality to the liturgy than I had previously experienced. There wasn't as much improvisation. It seemed like, you know, they were following the the rubrics pretty by the book, um, which is not to say that can't or does not happen in the liturgy in English. Um, but there was something that uh, reverent struck me as you use the word reverent, Ashley. I also aesthetically felt very beautiful. But as I got a little older and I and I want to be careful here because I don't want to disparage people that still love this liturgy. Uh, it, I, I realized that I was I really had some bad spiritual sentiments within me. Like I I felt like I was going to like a, a holier mass and therefore it was a better mass and therefore the the uh like you, if you you would go to the latin mass if you were a more serious catholic or if you were more serious about your faith and if you went to the the english one it's probably it's just the one you grew up with you're not as into it um which was really toxic um and I, mm -hmm. it, it took me a while to kind of come out of that um but i'm wondering if you do you see any of that uh like in in the way that In, in the communities that you minister to or that you lead? Or do you think that might be a, a me thing or a U.S. thing? I think. I don't want to, to be rude and I, I want to, I'm a priest of peace. Huh? But I think um, it's more polarized in, in North America than in France mm. because your society is polarized in North America, I think. In France, there are problems, but not so more, not so much. Uh, the, 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 the liturgical uh, uh, situation here in France is quite, yeah, we have peace, we have peace. And I do not see what you have said here in France. Now, the situation is quite different. Mm. Do you think that has anything to do with France being such a secular country? Like in the U.S., church or politics and religion are like constantly mixing and that leads to the, you know, Catholics are divided along the same political lines. Um 
uh, you know, maybe, and yeah, and yeah. it's maybe it sounds like maybe that's not the situation in France. Yeah, in France, it's completely different. And the piece uh, realized by Pope Benedict uh, Ratzinger in twenty or seven, two thousand seven, uh, in France was real. It was not perfect, but the, the piece was was real. And I have heard, I have heard that um, Pope Francis took the the new motu proprio traditionis custodes, guardians of the tradition, uh, against the old liturgy. I've heard that he took that decision because the situation in the United States and America, of America and Italy, the situation is quite difficult. That's not my experience here in France. And there, there are positive points and negative points here in France. You, you want the positive points? There are, there are four positive points with the, the, the tradies. First, they generally have a, a quite good religious culture. It's good in, a, in, a, in, in this country. Second, they have many children, many children. And they transmit the faith to their children. It's quite good. Um, third, they are young. And fourth, they have a sense of sin and grace. That's great. There are negative points, uh, challenges in France with the tradies. Uh, some of them, some of them, not all, practice a ritual exclusivism. You know, they do not want to go to the Novus or Domas. Second negative point. Some of them, not all, do not receive the Second Vatican Council. Yes, of course. Some of them. Some of them. Third negative point. Some of them live in a, in a culture of separatism. A ghetto. Like a ghetto. You know? We are the pure church. We are the perfect ones. And we have the, the pure liturgy. And we, we stay in our ghetto. Ghetto? You, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. yeah. In English, yeah. yeah. That's, that's not a, a good way of acting as a Christian. Yeah, of course. And some of them, that's the last point, negative point, some of them, not all, practice a kind of sophistication, liturgical sophistication, which is not so linked with, uh, with that century. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you see ornaments, you see hats, mm. you say, wow, we are in 2022, uh, wow. Uh, yeah. We don't need to go back to like 1920 or something. Yeah. 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 No, I, you know, Very it's funny, hearing strange. you describe that, I... I think those are similar criticisms leveled at the traditional Latin mass community in the United States. I think that mm. uh, here, the people <laughs> that tend to practice these things have a, a louder microphone, they, they, so to speak. They are much more prominent in media, and you know they are very, very loud in their opinions about these yeah. these matters. Yeah. I'm wondering, yeah. as a priest, as you said, a priest of peace, how do you respond pastorally? To people that kind of you know practice it in, in in this way, it's difficult for me to answer because I would not put the the, the eggs on the same basket. One trad is not it doesn't it, it doesn't look like another trad. In France, it's we have a, a very very a lot of differences between all the faithful and yeah. If I have one who is very against the Pope. Against the church, the, the communion of the church, I say, okay, okay, man. There are things uh, you do not like. Uh, you do not like this uh, uh, this cardinal, this bishop. But he is your bishop. He is your pope. So even when your mother, because the church is our is our mother, even if your mother uh, um, has sins, she is your mother. So don't 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 criticize your mother because she is your mother. That's a good rule for life. Don't, <laughs> don't criticize your mother. <laughs>
So you you mentioned before that Pope Francis issued this this document, Traditiones Custodes, mm. um, in react and it, your interpretation or what you've heard is that was in reaction to kind of the the tensions in the United States and in Italy around Italy yeah. around the traditional Latin Mass. So first, just can you give us a brief description of of what that document did, and then I don't know, maybe discuss whether you think it was fair to impose something on the entire church that yeah. seems like it was maybe just a problem in the in yeah, a couple of, of countries. It's like a tradition opera. It never ends. It's very difficult. First, it's, we have received and, and we have received contradictory, contradictory uh, signals. First, one year ago, the motu proprio uh, of Pope Francis Traditionis Custodes, who wanted to, to reduce the, the presence of the traditional Latimas. He is a pope. He has the right to do it. It's not a problem. It's false to say that. He has prohibited the traditional Latin mass. No, no, it's 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 allowed. But he wanted one year ago yeah, to reduce the, the reduce the, the presence. That was one year ago. Then, uh, before Christmas, there was uh, there were the, the responsa, the answers in, in in English of Bishop Roche, who is the the prefect, the chief of the the, the liturgy in Rome, in charge with the divine liturgy, and the, the answers of Bishop Roche were very, very, very uh, hard. And finally, the, the, the paternal hand of the Pope Francis with uh, a pontifical decree in favor of the priestly fraternity of St. Peter. Just to clarify really quick, the, the Pope Francis actually gave an, an exemption to the uh, priestly fraternity of St. Peter, yeah. right? right. Yeah. So, they, said, so that they were able to celebrate the Latin Mass, whereas in other yeah. areas it had been restricted and he wrote, quite a bit. And he, yeah, and he wrote on that decree that the, the motu proprio traditionis custodes is not for them. Wow. So, wow, yeah, it's a big. Um, I will be polite, but um. <laughs> <laughs> it was a big, probably a big shock. But when when the letter first came out, traditionis custodes, before the exemption came out, uh, what were your thoughts on it? How did you feel about it? Yeah, it was a, a, a big surprise. There are positive uh, points and difficulties. Um, I think it's a good idea that. The traditional and the novus ordo communities talk together. That's a, a consequence of the traditionist custodes motu proprio. The difficulty is with mot the motu proprio traditionist custodes is uh, uh, that the Pope took a decision for the whole church. But you know when when I I was uh, um, I'm a, a catechism teacher. When you have a classroom or one child. Is not very obedient. Is uh, always uh, speaking loudly, and you 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 punish. You, you take a decision against that child, not against the whole classroom. That's my my question with traditionist custodes, uh, the the motu proprio of the pope. Why did he took that decision for the whole classroom, <laughs> yeah. the whole church, and not the child, the children, who were not so obedient? Uh, we we spoke with Ashley uh, that there was uh, there were problems in Italy and the United States, so it should have been a, a good idea to 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 wrote a motu proprio just for the the American bishops or for the Italian ones and say okay there are problems in your countries let us deal with them let us let us face them but uh, wow it's not it's the, you know the the, puni the general punishments it's not a, a good pedagogy <laughs> it's not a good way to for a family. So there were there were clearly some some bad bad actors, yeah. some yeah, people yeah. that yeah, were yeah. not doing yeah, yeah. and you and, and you feel like you cannot be a priest 
and yeah and 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 say okay that's my liturgy no it's not yours it's the liturgy of the church you cannot be a priest that was uh, that was the reason i left the priestly fraternity of saint peter because i said to myself i cannot be a priest for just a, a small part of the faithful i my my priesthood is for everybody so i cannot be my my, my opinion my personal opinion cannot be uh, uh, given imposed to to the faithful i'm a priest for everybody so Okay, you want the traditional Latin Mass? I, I celebrate the traditional Latin Mass. You want the Novus Ordo Mass? I celebrate the Novus Ordo Mass because I'm priest for everybody, not only the tradies sheep. You know, huh? the bear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a shepherd for everybody. <laughs> yeah. I, what some people read into Pope Francis's Dot Motu Proprio was trying to move the church into having, you know, one unified liturgy to try to eventually bring everybody together and there might be exceptions here and there but eventually that would you know the the old mass would die out do you do you think there's it's good for the church to have one one single liturgy or do you think that we can exist together with with multiple different rites and kinds i mean in a certain sense we already have we 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 have several other rites right yeah Um, with different liturgies under under the communion of rome the traditional latin mass is not quite the the same it's not quite analogous but I'm wondering what you think about that, the idea of liturgical diversity. Yeah, I think there is a place for everybody. But the most important uh, objective is evangelization. So you want to pray in Latin. Okay, pray in Latin. But please do not forget that you have to, to announce the gospel to uh, uh, your neighbor. You want to pray, in, to pray in Greek. Okay, pray in Greek. But do not uh, forget that you have to announce the gospel in Greek if you want. But uh, uh, it's the, what the Pope Francis said... I, I think it's let us do not waste time with liturgical issues because there is a, a world to save. I also I'm glad you said that because I I've had this feeling since I, I guess for the last year when people in the United States have been like have a more intensified liturgical war than usual is that it's both sides see it as like a silver, I don't know if this translate, but a silver bullet, like this is what's going to fix people and get people back to mass. If, if we just mm. have a more reverent traditional Latin mass liturgy, then people will come back to the pews. And other. And then on the other side, they're like, no, we need to have more welcoming parishes that like are enculturated and respond to, to people, you know, where they're at. And I, I just don't think either of those is true, but it's it's an easier thing. No, it's thing. not true because people left the thing. church before the Second Vatican Council. Yeah. So there, there were problems before the, the liturgical uh, renovation. So no, that's not true. Yeah, it's but, just easy. But it's easier to fight about that than yeah, actually easier. think about evangelizing. Yeah, yeah, it's easier to think that, but I think it's not true. No, no. We are we are all we are all called to, to evangelize. Okay. You want to evangelize in, with the traditional Latin mass? Why not? Why not? But do not forget that the most important is to be in the communion with the whole church behind the Pope, Pope Francis today, uh, Pope, uh, Pope Benedict yesterday, and Pope uh, Jean-Paul III uh, 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 tomorrow, maybe. But <laughs> do not forget the most important. It's not your way of praying. The most important is to pray. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's that's the same in English and Latin. I think. Yeah, yeah, and French too. <laughs> yes. Amen. Uh, Father Pierre, thanks so much yeah. for taking the time to chat with us today. We do have one final question for you yeah, uh, that we ask yeah. everybody. Uh, mm-hmm. If you could canonize one person, living or dead, 
Catholic or not, fictional or real, who would it be and why? I will canonize Father Hamel. I don't know if you, mm. you remember that name. Uh, he was 86. He was uh, uh, murdered by uh, two persons uh, five years ago in Normandy, north part of France, after the mass by two Islamic uh, fighters with a knife after, just after the mass. He has celebrated the mass as an old retired priest. There were only five persons, five people uh, during that mass. And at the end, two people entered and they, 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 they shouted, Hala uh, Akbar, and then they murdered that priest. It is a big, big example for me because he was very old. He had, he had six, yeah, ne- nearly 60 years of priesthood. 60 years of priesthood. That means 60 years of fidelity, 60 years of prayer, 60 years of breviary, 60 years of masses, even in Latin, in French, I don't know, because he was an old priest, so I, I'm sure he had celebrated the, the old the traditional Latin mass. He died like a holy priest. I'm sure he would be canonized. It's a big example for me. I'm only... Uh, I have only 20 years of priesthood, but it's <laughs> yeah. a good example for me. Father Amel, remember Father that name. Jacques Amel. All right. Jacques Amel, yeah. All right, a- amen. Uh, Father Pierre, thank you so much for coming thank on Thank you so today. much. God bless you all. Please yep. forgive me for my poor, poor English with <laughs> my forget- French accent. My French accent. <laughs> no, it's good. It comes, yeah, it, it makes great. you sound smart. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> thank uh, you so much. God bless you all. Thank and we you. Keep, we, keep, um, we are in communion toward the oceans and between the yeah. oceans we, we pray together thank you Amen. so much God Amen. bless thank, thank you. you thank you sometimes I'm sometimes I go for the gold I never thought you were easy prey I just knew I was so You know, it's been said that the difference between a meal and a feast is wine. Uh, And I feel like no country embodies that more than Italy, which is great because I love wine. uh, I love feasting. And I'm really excited for our trip because we're going to hit up Tuscany. We're going to visit a vineyard, drink a lot of wine. And so I wanted to brush up on my wine knowledge, especially Italian wine. So I hit up our friends at Wondrium for their course on the Everyday Guide to Wine. Yes, and I am not an expert on wine, and our pilgrimage is 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 over drinks. And so, in order to be the best tour guide I can possibly be, I go to Wondrium, and not just for wine tasting, but so many other audio and video courses on hundreds of topics taught by university professors and documentaries to help you learn about the world around you. Yeah, so whether you're you know coming with us to Italy in September or you're preparing for a trip of your own, One Dream's got you covered. They've got world-class content taught by experts who know their stuff, and it's always ad-free. Yes. So we want you to sign up for Wondrium today. Wondrium is offering our listeners a free trial plus 20% off the annual plan. And to get this offer, you need to visit our special URL. Yep, that's wondrium.com slash Jesuitical. Again, that's W-O-N-D-R-I-U-M dot com slash Jesuitical. Sign up today. The Master of Arts in Sacred Scripture from the Oblate School of Theology fosters a love for God's Word through an in-depth study of the entire Bible. Courses may be taken full-time or part-time, in face-to-face or online. Visit the website for more information.
That's ost.edu slash ma-sacred-scripture. In a unique collaboration, Georgetown University and the Catholic University of America offer a Master of Arts or Certificate in Catholic Clinical Ethics. The program combines clinical ethics, theological engagement, and Catholic teachings. Fully online courses are followed by an in-person four-day summer intensive. Learn more at clinicalbioethics.georgetown.edu slash C-A-C-E. And now it's time for some housekeeping. What do we have this week, Zach? It's that time of year. Uh, We've only got a couple episodes left uh, in the season before we take our annual summer break, which means that we we need your feedback. This is usually the time of year where we put out our listener survey to get some feedback from you about how we're doing, uh, what you like about the show, what you don't like, topics that you are psyched that we talked about, things that you probably you skipped over because they looked so boring in your feed, um, topics that you want us to discuss. Uh, We this really helps us make the show, uh, and it's only going to take five ten minutes tops. And it provides invaluable feedback to Ashley and I and the team. Yes. So please take a few minutes to do that. We will put the link to the survey in the show notes. And now we have, as one friend speaks to another, the part of our show where we talk about where we're finding God in our lives this week. And this week, Zach, I wanted to talk about the homily that Pope Francis gave on the Feast of Pentecost this past Sunday. I don't know about you, but for me, the Holy Spirit has always been the most like abstract, academic person of the Trinity, like the context I think about the Holy Spirit is and is like trying to understand what the Trinity is and what different symbols there are uh, to represent the Holy Spirit. And it's I I can say it's not someone I've ever prayed to intentionally. Um, And Pope Francis gave a really at least for me, striking and concrete way of thinking about the Holy Spirit in this homily. He's commenting on uh, a line from the Gospel of John that says, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all I have said. And Pope Francis goes on to say that that the Holy Spirit is the memory of God. And I, I had never really thought about it that way before. And so, you know, reflecting on this in prayer, I came to think of the Holy Spirit as as kind of like the memory that pops up when I feel like I'm drowning in like negative thoughts about myself and don't see worth in myself. And then for some reason, I like remember that like, no, <laughs> like I'm not all bad and and God does still love me. So just that that memory of I had never really thought of as the Holy Spirit. You're totally right. Uh, Holy Spirit is definitely the most abstract. And I think even if you go to like I remember someone told me to do this once to go to the library at Loyola and it was like, go to the theology section and you can like visibly see how big the Christology section is mm-hmm. and how small, I think it's pneumatology, I think is study of Holy Spirit, but it's it's dwarfed in comparison. So I don't think you're alone in that. I think the church throughout history has kind of done that. The most concrete way I've been able to connect with it is probably through Jesuit spirituality. And, you know, when we're talking to Father Eric and he's, and we say, okay, is that the voice of God or is that the voice of the evil spirit? That's like the clearest way I've been able to really relate to and understand the Holy Spirit, I think. Yeah, no. And I, as I was reading this homily, I was thinking like, oh, like Eric has told us this a thousand times. But like even in those conversations, I think of like the evil spirit and the good spirit. But I had never like connected that to the third person of the Trinity, I guess. Mm-hmm. I just it was like a construct in my head for like interpreting good versus bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's so true. And like, I don't know, it's, it's just like wrapped up in in God, but you don't think of it as mm-hmm. part of 
part of the Trinity. Yeah. And I left this like <laughs> reading this, like being like, oh, OK, so if I did pray to the Holy Spirit, what it would be? And I was just like, I guess it'd be my go-to prayer, which is just thank you. <laughs> thank you for reminding me that, I, that I'm that i loved by God. <laughs> I feel like mine is like, get me through this. Yeah. <laughs> That's my go-to. So yeah, it probably means you're a better person than me because I'm just asking for stuff. But That's the evil spirit talking. Yeah, yeah. I suppose yeah. so. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So listeners, um, one, please give Pope Francis's homily a, a read. It's it's really great. Um, we'll link to it in the show notes. Um, and then maybe think about like what, what has been an image of, of the Holy Spirit that has been most most helpful for you in, in your faith life. All right, I will get us out of here. Jesuitical is produced by Sebastian Gomes with production assistance from Kevin Jackson and Kira Hanlon. Our sound engineer is Kevin Christopher Robles. Faith Formation provided by Father Eric Sundrup. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. Please subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcast and leave us a review if you're on Apple or Spotify. Jesuitical is recorded in the William J. Loshirt Studio at America Media in New York City. For America Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis. We'll see you next week. <laughs>